0: Welcome to another episode of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini, and this episode is all about deafness and hearing loss. Hearing loss is one of the most well-known impairments. Most people at some point in their lives experience some hearing loss or reduction, though it's primarily due to old age and environmental factors. But every year, many children are born with deafness or hearing impairment. Even though there are many avenues of therapy and technology that can help children with deafness and hearing loss, there are still the same issues of communication, comprehension, and education, as well as social issues of acceptance and understanding that all children with special needs experience. And of course, for the parents of children with a hearing impairment, the need to find reliable information is as much a concern as it is for any parent of a special needs child. Our guest today has a vast amount of knowledge and insight into special education for deaf children and the various technologies and therapies that are available. Julie Wiseman has a daughter who is deaf and has been receiving special help in school for many years. Julie talks about her daughter's experiences and her own experiences in dealing with schools and even the hearing impaired and deaf community itself, and she has a lot of valuable advice for parents of children with hearing impairment. Now, I'll warn you that this is probably one of the longest episodes of Special Parents Confidential that we have recorded, but there's a lot of really great information, and I thought it was important to keep it all together. So, I guess we'll get right to it with our guest, Julie Wiseman. Julie, what age was your daughter, Kendall, when you first got the diagnosis that she had a hearing impairment?
1: Kendall was diagnosed at birth, so Ah, she was part of the newborn screening process, and then um, she failed. Oh, no. So, then we... um, you have to go in and get a diagnostic testing, and we got her tested for that. And it was, it's not as cut and dry as it seems, so it, it was like three different tests that we had to do over a period of six months. Um, and, and the plan is with the newborn screening is that if somebody fails and they get them in and they have that, um, that diagnostic testing to find out where their hearing loss is so you can get them fitted with hearing aids and get them in, and by that it's like it's called three six nine. I think by like by six months you want those hearing aids on, on the little infants. Mm. So so yeah, so by three months you want to get that diagnostic testing, which we, we got in well before that. I think by three months we had three diagnostic testing. So that's when we found out.
0: Right. So how bad is her hearing impairment? Is she totally deaf or did she just have limited hearing?
1: <sighs> it's so interesting because when you are a parent that's um has a child Especially if you're a hearing parent that has a child for the first that that has a child that's born with hearing loss, Mm -hmm. you um, hear deaf, or you hear they have hearing loss, and you have no clue what that means. I mean, deaf to most of us is there's no sound, there's nothing, Um, and that's not always true. In Kendall's case, there's there's different levels, and so it can go anywhere from a mild hearing loss all the way to And I was even talking to my husband about this because I said we've never really gotten past it, but could somebody have, like, total no hearing whatsoever? And I'm sure that could be, but in Kendall's case, she had profound hearing loss, which is at um, about 85 decibels is where she could hear sound. And to put that in context, that is like a lawnmower or that is like an airplane. And that's not the sound that you and I would hear as a lawnmower in airplane, she would hear a light hum. Oh, boy. So, yeah. So, you're, so when you think about communication and language and speaking, she would not be able to interpret any of that with that type of hearing loss without some sort
0: of support. Now, this must have been quite a shock for you guys to realize that Kendall has deafness. Uh, could you describe what it's like with those early days when you're first dealing with the fact that she was going to need help?
1: you know what, every time that question comes up, it brings me right, even though she's 11 now, it just brings me right back to where we were when right. that first happened. You never um,
0: get over the diagnosis originally, do you? you?
1: really don't. It's a circle. You end up like, you know, dealing with it, and then something else comes, and you're down at that bottom of that cycle again. But, um, yeah, it was um, when it happened, it was almost like I was being educated at the same time I was trying to educate like my parents. Um, we Kendall was. Um, this was eleven years ago, so newborn hearing screening had only been around maybe a couple years before that. Where all infants were getting tested in the hospital.
2: Mm.
1: So before that, we probably wouldn't have known for a while. So when you think about it from that aspect, um, that bonding time that most mothers and fathers get with that child was kind of taken away. Um, is that a good thing? Yes, it is. But from an aspect of I was I was a first time mom, from that aspect, all I was doing was worrying the whole time. Like, oh my God, what am I going to do? What things need to be done? You know, she won't hear this. How you know how how are we going to manage all of this? Right. So you went from oh, cuddle sweet little baby to in overdrive. Right. Um. So that was it. Was a lot of um, you know. I think everyone goes for grief differently. Mine was why me? Um. I only have one child, so I was like, why me? I only get one child, and why does this happen? Um, You know, people would say things like, um, oh, you're a strong person, so God gives us, you know, know, because they knew that you could handle this. And and they were trying to say it in nice ways. They weren't meaning anything mean by it, but those were the beginning days that were very rough. Um, And also, because it was so new, um, because a lot of children being diagnosed that early, um, a lot of the support systems weren't in place yet, right? So, um, so there was a lot of things like I just needed to talk to somebody. I needed to talk to a parent who had a child that may, was maybe you know had gone through this. And I, and and it was interesting because I actually got in touch with a couple people, but I really needed that connection to figure out you know what is that going to be down the road. I needed that kind of connection, and it just wasn't there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, because I had to really go searching in, in for it, which is why today I am that person that when I see somebody um, and they ask for information, I'm that person that wants to help them with that, to to let them know there is help out there. Because I was searching everywhere. And it was also very different 11 years ago because um, even from the Internet, um, everyone wants to believe the Internet 11 years ago is what it is today. Um, there was some information, but it was just very... More difficult to find. I mean, now you could Google it and find a myriad of information
0: about it. Right, and I can imagine that's you know uh, what you're going through as far as uh, trying to figure things out. I mean, it, when when you talk about uh, you know they're coming up with all these new early screenings for all these different things, and but then they don't have the support systems ready, right? You know, for that kind of thing. So it's 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 good, and yet it's also even more frustrating, perhaps. It
1: is, and and it was just. You know, and then you're being inundated with things like immediately somebody say, "Well, you got to think about her education," and you're going, "This is just a baby. What are you talking about?" Now it makes sense, but it didn't make sense then. I mean, there was just a lot of things that um, was was thrown our way that we were just trying to maneuver and figure out and understand, and at the same time, going through our own grief, Um, and we were living in a different county at the time so the support systems in in another county um that was just one county over there was more support systems there but we couldn't partake in that because we didn't live in that county and when i say we couldn't partake in it it was because they were through the educational system so right. we would have had to have lived in that county to partake in that
0: yeah and that's always a problem too
1: it is so it's just there was a lot of that going on um there was a lot of um you know what is the life going to be like for my daughter kendall you know, and every mother and father wants you know wants to be able that their child will, um, be able to hear them say "I love you." Or if if a person's a musician in the family, they're like, "I always wanted them to hear music." You know, just different things that you think of in your little family situation, mm-hmm. how that would apply to that child, and and it just it just you know takes that and turns it all around. And I don't know the exact figure, but it's it's pretty high that the number of children that have, that are either born with hearing loss or have hearing loss, um, are born into families with hearing.
2: Hmm. So
1: it's, it's a whole new thing that they have to learn. Um, you know, the the communication styles, all of that are just, it's everything is just so new to them. So it's a total learning
0: process. Right. right. Well, you know, and I, I had a question about that, of course, because with hearing loss and all that. I've read that it can be a genetic trait, but it can also come about randomly. So, are there any family members in your family that have? Uh, I know that's redundant, but uh, are there any uh, people in your family that have deafness, in, or in your husband's family, or is this uh, completely out of the blue?
1: Well, actually, it's very interesting because it, it's not a genetic. We we did get tested. We did get her tested on the first strand, and it's not gene- uh, genetic. There is. Um, hmm one gene that they've been able right now to isolate, and it's called the Conexin 26, and she did not. And we could go further into it, but it, it ends up, at that point, we were like, what will this accomplish? So we opted not to. Um, but we do have hearing loss on both sides of our family. Is it genetic? Is it environmental? Is it, we don't know. Mm. Um, you know, my mother has it, my sister, who's... Um, who, who, she got she got her hearing aids in her 40s, like around the same time Kendall got her cochlear implants. So, it was very interesting. Um, and then on Chris's side, my husband's side, um, his niece was born, um, she has hearing loss, but um, they believe that was because of lack of oxygen during birth. So, those things, and, and his dad has hearing loss, but that might have been a, another medical thing. So, we didn't find any real big connections there, and you will find that um, a lot of people with hearing loss, you just don't know. Right. It's just one of those things. You know, yes, there is a genetic component. There's other syndromes that um, would, would come into play. Um, she doesn't have any of those, and um, so it's kind of one of those, yep, we, we have no idea what caused
0: it. Right, because we can always associate hearing loss with older people Is just the – fact of getting older but you don't necessarily uh you wonder sometimes though about uh when a child is born with hearing loss
1: right right and it and literally with her i mean it was it's the hair cells and they're just not doing their job and um and so in that case yeah but we have no idea and so you just kind of have to go forward and you know some some people have a hard time going forward they always want those answers um at some point we didn't realize or we realized we didn't know what those answers were really going to do for us because, you know, some of the doctors were going, "Well, if she, you know, later on down the road when she gets married, won't she want to know if her kids are going to be born with hearing loss?" And I'm like, "I, quite honestly, Kendall has hearing loss, but will that matter to her? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will be something she can figure out as time goes on. But for our sake, we, we just said, you know what, she's born with hearing loss. Let's kind of go in that direction and and uh, move up, move forward."
0: Right now, what do they tell you as far as being able to communicate with Kendall? Uh, most people are, of course, familiar with sign language or lip reading, but there are other options as well.
1: There are, and it's very interesting because um, when um, and, and when Kendall was born, we didn't realize what um, oh what what a what a what a door this would open to a world of it, it was just a political. A nightmare in some ways mm. um, there is a definite deaf culture which basically means um, they are a community they, they look at sign language as a foreign language which it is, Which is, it's their own language mm. and um, they truly believe that people that are born deaf should use that and that is great um, with the advent of a number of different technologies, one of those being cochlear implants um, that has opened up the world to people being able to use spoken word. Mm-hmm. Um, did people do spoken word before with Kendall's profound hearing loss? Um, yes, I think it was more difficult on the child. Um, so there are different um, avenues out there. There's um, You do have the lip reading, which my daughter does very well at, um, mm-hmm. and you do have the um, the sign, which is amazing. And um and I love watching them, them do it. We opted not to because she got the cochlear implants. We opted to go a different route. Mm-hmm. Um, and we always tell everybody, as a family, you need to look at what works best for your family unit. Right. And um, in our family unit, that was what we chose and that was what best. Does that mean we will not we, – we incorporate some of our own sign. We actually kind of have our own made-up sign sometimes. And also, does that mean down the road we wouldn't use sign? No. That means that I would want to take a class with her as opposed to me. To, I took one by myself. It did not work. I needed somebody to do it with. If you don't have somebody to speak with, it doesn't work. Um, the other forms are, and they're not as well known, um, there is, and I'm trying to think of the exact um, wording of them, they, they have different where they, they might use their hand to gesture up to their mouth, and it would tell you how the words should be sound, um, said and I can't remember the exact word, but there is, there are different. They're not used a lot in um, our state. They're used um, in different pockets throughout the United States and even in Canada. And I can, and I don't know if you're going to put any of this information on our website, but I can give you that information so you sure. can post it on the sure. website.
0: Yeah, we always do that, so that won't be a problem. So um, now is there any, um, lack of a better term, is there any blowback as far as, uh, you know, well, uh, your daughter's deaf and you're not doing sign language. Uh, just uh, do you hear things from people that you should be doing this or should be doing that, and why aren't you?
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I think that's what I, I I brought up about, just it opened up that world. I mean, we had people that um, at the church we went to at the time, they they had a signing mass, and we loved it. And while we, well, we didn't communicate and sign, and this was before Kendall was born, we didn't communicate and sign, We would say hi to people and talk to them and have an interpreter, and when Kendall was born, it was kind of like she was their golden child, Mm -hmm. and so it was wonderful, and then when she got her cochlear implants, they kind of ignored her. Really? Yeah, um, because there are people that just totally believe that's wrong, you know, that we are trying to say her hearing loss is a bad thing. Hmm. Um, and, and so that's what we mean by a deaf culture, um, or they call it the big D versus little D. Um, it gets real political. I mean, we've had people go, I, I've had people at conferences come up to me and, you know, ask me, does she sign? And I say no, and I explain, and, and they just kind of berate me about it, you know, well, she should because of this, 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 and this. And like I said, families need to make choices based on what their, family unit is about. Right. And, and, that's, and, I, and I, that's why I applaud everybody that's able to do that, to not look at somebody else and say, you know what, they're doing this, so I've got to do this. You've got to look at your family unit. What, what, and what's in the best interest of the child? Um, there was a number of things that Kendall was going through, other than hearing loss at the time. And to just add one more thing to it, assigning I think, would have been just too much for our family to right. take on at the time. Well, yeah,
0: and like you say, it's not just you, or it's not just her, rather. The whole family needs to learn the signing. Correct. And not everyone is able to take on a second language. Correct. At, at various times in their lives.
1: Right. And, and learning sign language is very, it's, it's easy in the beginning. It's it more difficult. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a different syntax to it. The way that we speak in, um, in spoken English is not signed the same way. Um, well, and it is so taking
0: it, on a second language. You it know, is. <laughs> It's like you want to learn French or you want to learn uh, Chinese.
1: It exactly is. And so I tell people, I say, you know, it, you know, in the beginning we used, you know, different things, you know, eat, drink, milk, yes, no, those things. She knew. One word answers. But to do a whole signing, that would take a much – and families have done it. I mean, I know of a family – that for years did not do that with their child, and then they were not getting the communication that they needed from the spoken, and they turned around and made a change and went and learned um, ASL. And I think that's awesome because the thing is just because you make a, a decision today doesn't mean you can't add on to it tomorrow.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure. And, you know, I'm not disparaging or is taking anything away from sign language because I also think it's a wonderful thing. But, you know, not everyone is prepared to take that on at a given time. And like you say, maybe later on.
1: You're right. Exactly. And the thing that um, it's, it's very political, even in the educational system, hmm. um, you know, you'll find that there are professionals, there are teacher educators, there are um, just individuals out there that will have a bias one way or another, and they will try to explain to you why one is better than the other. And so I always tell everybody, as you, the individual, as your family, and as that person that you're, you know, looking for those communication options, you have to really take it all in, do the research for what works for you. Right. Because, you know, take all that information in, thanks them, and then move on and, you know, do the research and figure out. And like I said, nothing is set in stone.
0: Yeah. Well, that's great advice. That really is. Um, now, what did your doctors tell you about your daughter's condition as far as treatment was concerned? Were the cochlear implants recommended right away, or did they tell you they can would have to get to a certain age first?
1: Well, um, it's really interesting because a little backstory on me. I, When I graduated from college, I... Always wanted to live in California, so I moved out to California. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I lived out there in the mid '80s. And um, there was a woman that I ended up living with. I rented a room from her, mm-hmm. and she was deaf. Mm. And she was one of the first recipients for a cochlear implant. Ah. So and 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 um, they didn't do children back then. They only did adults. Um, and um, so I knew a little bit about it so when Kendall was born um, and we went in for the testing and we got and we found out what her hearing loss was mm-hmm. immediately I went into okay if she's deaf can she get a cochlear implant you know I mean I knew about this and here you know it is it's uh, 20 years plus later and I'm like, can she get cochlear implants? And they're like, we don't want you to think about that right now. And they gave me a booklet because I want, I said, is there information to know more about hearing loss? And they gave me a booklet.
2: Mm-hmm. This
1: was at the audiologist at the hospital. And they said, but don't read this right now.
2: Hmm.
1: Now, anybody that knows me <laughs> knows <laughs> that I wouldn't listen to them. I mean, I immediately got in the car and I'm reading through it and I'm seeing things about cochlear implants and all this stuff and I'm going online trying to figure out things and i'm talking to people and so in the back now this was 11 years ago so a lot has happened with cochlear implants but back then um the earliest they were implanting a child was at 24 months mm. and so kendall you know got diagnosed at three months and she was totally fitted with hearing aids by six months so 24 months is a long ways away right. in your mind as a parent. yeah the reason they do this is that um, they want to, if, if the hearing aids work and they're getting enough benefit from the hearing aids with the residual hearing that they have, mm-hmm. then you're going to stick with hearing aids. Oh. Because the cochlear implant does is it destroys that, that inner ear. Oh. Meaning that um, if somewhere down the road, and it, and it hasn't happened yet, and I don't know if it'll happen in our lifetime or even my daughter's lifetime, if they are able to regenerate those hair cells in your ear and give you hearing again, mm-hmm. you would not be able to do that.
2: Oh, I see. You
1: would not be a candidate. Right. So they really want to kind of save, you know, it, and, and that's not the only reason they want to say it. They just don't want to destroy anything that doesn't need to be destroyed.
2: Right.
1: So to back then... To get a child um, into the hearing aid, see how they're working, and wait 24 months. And, it, you know, I mean, it's surgery. Even though it's outpatient surgery, it is still surgery on a child. And to bring them in very young, you just, you just don't want to do that. Yeah, and that
0: has its own set of risks. Yes,
1: there's risks. So then, so so they had told us, you know, don't look at this. all. then we looked at that. And somehow, you know, just because we started networking a little bit more, we found out about somebody else that had received cochlear implants that had already gone through it and her daughter was a year older than our daughter. And so we found out when they got theirs done and what doctor they went to and all of that. And so we started
2: mm-hmm.
1: the process of, you know, talking, to setting up a appointment with that daughter, doctor, talking to them and finding out how soon we could get Kendall in. And actually they started bringing it back down. So by the time Kendall got her first implant, um, it was at, 17 months old hmm. so seven months earlier than what it would have been right and now they're even doing it i mean there are some infants that are getting it done at six months old wow so yeah so it's it's changed it depends on the you know it depends on a number of situ number of things one could be your insurance another could be uh the doctor another could be the, pa- the family just you know saying we want this done so there's just a number of factors um, but they, but you want to get it done, um, and I know a lot of parents want to get it done early so that their child doesn't have that huge gap in speech and language because a lot of people don't understand from the day that you're born and even when you're in the womb, that child is taking in sound. Right. And so that's why when their first words come out, people go, Oh, isn't that great? It's because they've been going in all along, and they've just been kind of hearing it and taking it in and getting ready to finally, you know, lab it to their parents. And um, with a deaf child, obviously they're not getting that in. Right. So when they finally get the hearing, now they're back to being an infant, and in Kendall's case, infant hearing, but being 17 months old.
0: Right. Right. Well, as an audio guy, I can attest to that. You know, what's going to wake you up in the middle of the night? Is it something you see or is it something you hear? Obviously, it's something you hear. (laughs) Right.
1: Exactly.
0: Yes. So that's really interesting. Now, um, when she gets older, uh, and this is something I just thought of, um, you know, I mean, obviously the size of the head is going to change. Will the size of the implants have to change as well? Will they have to be replaced as they get older?
1: No, the only way they'd have to be replaced is if they malfunctioned for whatever reason. And and that's not always an easy process. Um, Kendall did have um, her first and second implant on her right side, which was the side that was first implanted. They both malfunctioned. Ah. The first one malfunctioned after a year. Um, And when they removed that and put her second one in, as you know, scar tissue happens, and scar tissue is sometimes stronger than the original tissue that was there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I do know that some people that have had them removed have had a hard time getting all the the information or the electrodes and things out, but it, it can be done. Mm. Um, but once they're in, you're not going to take them out every couple of years. No, oh, okay. it's, it's in unless something happens.
0: Right, so even in an infant, the size is going to stay the same all the way through? Yep. Okay. Yep. Because that just you know it occurs to me because I'm, I'm you know when you watch a kid grow their obviously their head gets much bigger
1: right everything else gets bigger but yeah for some reason it, it, in inside it works fine and and it's amazing because we've watched the outside um, what it looks like is, is a is a hearing aid but then it has this little headpiece that gets that adheres to her head because there's a magnet on the inside of her skull ah. and then there's a magnet on this headpiece and so it sits on the outside. And it's been amazing just watching as she's grown how symmetrical mm-hmm. it has become because she now has one on her left side too. And we were always laughing like, "Is that going to happen?" Because she got them done it two different times, and yeah, they just just kind of works that way. they're they're in different places a little bit, but not entirely from where they were when she first got them.
0: Huh. Interesting. Now, how the uh, have the implants affected her cognitive ability at all?
1: Well, because. Um, because of that malfunction, Mm -hmm. and because she had two malfunctions, and because she was what we label off-air, so she was not hearing, and she had just started school. Oh, was She was two and a half when this happened, and she had just started a center-based program um, in oral deaf education. Oh, boy. And um, so here she is with a bunch of her peers that are her age. They're wearing hearing aids, having cochlear implants, Mm -hmm. and they can hear... Right. And she doesn't know what's going on. Oh, boy. So she became a very visual child, watching everything. Um, She was off air. The first time it happened was in September. She didn't get re-implanted until November of that year. That one malfunctioned in December of that year, and so the following January, Mm -hmm. um, she got re-implanted. So it was five months that she was off air. Mm. So she went from... Having maybe a year's worth of speech and language to going back to zero again. Oh boy! So from a cognitive, um, did it impact her more comprehension, more behavioral? Because she was very upset. Right. She's like, "Why can't I hear now?" And you're trying to explain it to somebody that it broke, and they don't understand that yet. Mm-hmm. So yes, from that aspect, from cognitively, not um, no, they don't really have. That, that shouldn't be the case mm-hmm. um, I, I don't want to make a blanket statement that says in all cases but usually when they get the cochlear implant they're hearing and with therapy and education and parents doing their thing it's it should work very well for them
0: right now were there any issues with health insurance as far as uh, getting the implants done
1: um, not with our health insurance mm-hmm. and I do I, I think for the most part they are covered. Um, I think that um, children that whose parents don't have health insurance and get on a state-run program like here in Michigan, it's called uh, Children's Special S- um, Services.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that insurance will cover it. Um, unfortunately, they don't. Mm. Unless it's changed recently, they don't usually cover the second implant. Oh. Our insurance covered both of them.
2: Well, that's um, lucky. <laughs> which,
1: was, which was nice. So yeah. um, Kendall got her first implant. Uh, we'll, just, we'll refer to her first. She got her first implant at six, 17 months. But then when she really totally got that side taken care of, it was, um, she was almost three. Mm-hmm. And then she got her second implant at seven,
2: mm. which
1: would be on her left side. Um, and that's fairly new. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and and it had been a fight with insurance companies for that second side because they said, well, they can hear on one side. Why do they need two? And we're like, right. well, we have two ears. Yeah. You know, <laughs> when I buy eyeglasses, I don't get just one lens. Right. Um, so there'd been a fight with a number of special um, special rights lawyers and advocates, and so that pretty much, they're pretty much, I think, all doing that now, and I shouldn't shouldn't make a blanket statement because, you know, insurance just changes with every provider, but for the most part, I think they're covering it.
0: Well, they are really good at denying things. I'll I'll give the insurance industry that.
1: (laughs) Yes, and they do. And the other thing is, there is, and I will get this information for you, too, to post on your website. There Hmm. is, so if you do get denied, there is an advocate organization that um, is listed online and will help people through the stuff of, you know, what to do, how to go through the denial process, what what needs to happen. And they've been very successful at helping those individuals out that have been denied for um, implants.
0: Well, great. Great. And then one other question I had was, uh, did the implants cause her any kind of uh, problems with at school as far as, like, peer acceptance or things like that?
1: No. Um, you know, obviously she was in a, a, a center-based program for five years, so everybody there had them. A- Right. Everybody had either a cochlear implant or hearing aids, and and so so much so that she's gotten to the point where we ha- are out in public, and she notices somebody with a hearing aid. She'll point. She'll be like, "They have a hearing aid."
2: Right.
1: Um, it could be it could be an elderly person. It could be a younger person. But she will she will acknowledge it. Um, in and she has been mainstream. She's in fourth grade now, so she has been mainstream since um, halfway through her first grade year. And um, she, you know, I think the kids at her school, just they learned about it, they kind of knew about it, and they just moved on.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, It was interesting. Her teachers, the the school that she goes to, um, for first, second, and third, they're a multi-age classroom. Mm -hmm. So she had the same teacher for um, two and a half years. And um, there's two teachers in that classroom because they're much bigger classrooms. And uh, one of her teachers ended up getting a virus, and um, ended up losing hearing in one of her ears, and has um, what they call a Baja implant, which is a bone conduction implant, Mm. and so the kids already knew about hearing loss from this teacher, Mm -hmm. so it was kind of like Kendall coming in, Um, yeah, Kendall doesn't really think about it anymore, however, a lot of people, just because Kendall speaks very well, and can hear, they think she can hear, like, no issue. You know, they kind of forget sometimes. So right. I think that's probably the biggest thing is, is that they forget that she still does have um, a deficit in her hearing. Right. Even with the cochlear implants, right. she has a minor, hear, uh, uh, it, you know, a uh, mild hearing loss.
0: Right. So it's important to remember that when you when you see someone who has those, it helps them to hear, but it's not a complete 100% improvement.
1: Correct. And you know what? I think most people, like you and I, I'm sure we have some mild hearing loss. So we can equate it to that. But if you go to, like, a restaurant or something, and most restaurants today are horrible. Oh, yeah. The acoustics in there are terrible. (laughs) You can't hear. So for a person with hearing loss, it's terrible. Oh, yeah. They don't like it. And so I always equate it to that. Like, when I go to her school and in the lunchroom, I'm like, oh, she just must just kind of just sit there and zone out. You right. know, when the kids are talking, she's probably like, yeah, I don't even care if I can sit next to my best friend because I can't hear.
0: Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and our son has uh, hearing sensitivity problems too. Oh, Not hearing loss, but he just gets really uh, upset when there's a lot of loud sound. Yeah, And so he gets used to, for example, like you say, the, uh, the school cafeteria. He's gotten used to it, but it's taken a while. And then what would happen is he would just sit and he wouldn't even eat because he uh, he just couldn't handle such loud noises all the time.
1: Exactly, exactly. And people just, you know, they don't understand until they've been in that situation or until they've experienced it themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, you've become through the other things going on, uh, you know, as far as, you know, taking care of your daughter and then through school and— other stuff. You've become involved in your school district's uh, PACE group, which stands for Parent Advisors for Special Education. Now, uh, what does that organization do, and uh, um, how does that work through uh, most schools?
1: Well, every district um, in Kent County, Mm -hmm. um, where where this is um, housed in in our area, is um, they have PACE advisors. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm in... I'm in Granville. We have you should depending on your district, either two or three. And um, basically, what our role is um, is to hear the information, get the information, bring it back to our district to let them know what's going on, to let these other parents know, to invite the parents to come because a lot of people, myself included, did not realize that we actually have a say in our child's education. Mm-hmm. That we have a say in how they are being taught. Now, not that you know my daughter can be specifically taught a certain way, and then the next person's daughter, child can be taught. Not that, but that we have a right to say, you know what? They're not getting that, and we need. So that's how, that's where you would learn more of that information. You wouldn't learn it just by um, osmosis, um, because there are special educated special ed educators that mm-hmm. come to these meetings. There are professionals in the community, and they offer at each meeting um, a, a little presentation. You know, one could be an IEP boot camp. The other one could be, like, um, our last one that we just had just talked about all these different summer activities that a lot of parents don't don't realize. They, they might not have the resources to find out everything that's available in the area, um... There's all different things like that. There's um, the new thing that we're learning about in education is the Common Core Standards. that' huge and changed education across the board. So as parents of children with special ed um, that have IEPs or 504s, they need to learn that lingo and they need to know more about it to help their child better be prepared in this system because the common core standards are actually bringing us all up to a higher level. Mm -hmm. This made abundantly clear this year when my daughter was in fourth grade and was learning things in social studies that I found out were being taught a couple years ago in eighth grade. Hmm. So that's huge. And when you think about somebody like my daughter who is still behind speech and language Mm -hmm. and still behind in reading levels to be taught something that a a general education child two years ago was in eighth grade, had to learn. Right. That's huge to make that brain figure that out. Oh, yeah. So, so we're there to, to educate the parents. And we, in, in, in our district, we started a Facebook page so we can post all this information. We've posted things about um, special parents confidential on there, just so, a resource that people can go to. So we invite parents to come to this. No, not everybody can. Not everybody. We all know that being a parent, of a special needs child, takes a lot of time. And then we also know that a lot of parents don't just have one child. They might have three. They might have four. They might have a big family. Hmm. They might also work out at the home. So we know that they've got a lot else going on that they might not be able to make every meeting. But Hmm. we invite them to come to meetings to learn. We also invite them to get this information online Um, because, you know, an educated parent, as far as knowing what. They can do for their child, in the education system will only help their child
0: even more. Right now, it, yeah, and it's fascinating how you say that. You know, the, the kids. What a lot of what a lot of people don't understand is that the kids in fourth, even third grade, are learning stuff that. Well, I know when I was in school, I didn't see this stuff until I was in high school. Exactly. <laughs> or at least, like you said, eighth grade, seventh grade, and they're learning it much more rapidly and much earlier. And so it's it's a lot especially when there's any kind of a, a learning disability or a challenge there. It's, it's a lot to take on. Now, Kendall's getting uh, extra help in school, right? She's in, in a special education program?
1: She is. She has yeah. an IEP, yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, so that, uh, that's probably definitely helping. Yeah. Yeah. And, and,
1: it, and if anybody doesn't know what that is out there, it's an individualized education plan. And that, I can't stress enough, mm-hmm. is that the word individual – So when somebody says, well, Jimmy's getting that, why isn't Kendall getting that? Well, look at what Kendall's individual needs are, not what Jimmy is, you know. And I don't know anybody else's IEP. I really have never done that. But some parents do talk that way. And, And you have to look at your child and find out what their needs are, what the basic things are that you need. And you have a say in that. A lot of parents don't realize that. They think that when they go in, the teacher writes it down or, they, or the special ed person writes down their IEP and that's it. And it's like, no, you know your child. You, you need to work with them. You're a teen. You're not, it's not one against the other. It's not one just doing all the work. And that's why I think I always tell people about the education process. I, I, I tell people, I, say, I have a job. I'm a, I'm a parent. But I also have a job outside the home. But then when my daughter comes home, I'm a teacher. I have a third job because I'm, like, constantly teaching and learning this stuff. And I think as parents we forget that, that it's not just the role of the teacher at school. It's also the role of us as parents
0: at home. And, you know, also um, you have, uh, like you say with the kids, if, you know, one child is capable of doing that, another child isn't. So the individual part of the individual education plan, I think, is the, like you say, it's the key factor there.
1: Exactly, yeah. exactly, and, you know, and there are um, things that you can change, so if a child can't write as well, adaptations, so you know, mm-hmm. children can't write as well, you can put that in there, like what adaptations can we make so this child can still achieve that goal right. for that class, but maybe they're not doing exactly what everybody else is doing, but they can do it, You know, maybe they don't have as good fine motor skills for handwriting, but maybe they can type. Right. You know, let's put them on a word processor or an alpha, is it alpha smart or something like that? Right, yeah. Um put them on those, you know, so those are things and I would and that's the other thing that um is a huge that one gets a lot of people out at as our pace group is um the assistive technology.
2: Mm-hmm. There is so
1: much out there today and it's it's just even getting bigger with um with you know, iPads and tablets and and everything like that. There, there's just so much more out there that we can provide our children to help them as tools. Oh, and yeah. so, um, at those pace meetings, that's what we talk about as well. So we, I think that's one of our um, presentations is on that. So we always encourage parents to learn about that.
0: Right. And of course, a uh, uh, terrible uh, self-promotional plug here. Uh, <laughs> we did an episode on assistive technology a couple of a couple episodes back. So if did anyone you do it with needs, Kendi? Some... yes, with Kendi Segovia. She
1: mm-hmm. is. Awesome. Yes. And And I just went to another presentation of hers yesterday, and then that's what I always tell parents. I said, "This presentation, it was she was doing it on technology, assistive technology, but then we started, you know, asking her questions with parents about IEPs and things for like tap in." I always tell parents tap into that that educator out there, or that person that works in education that has that information that is passionate about what they do. Right. And and kindy is because she was a wealth of knowledge.
0: Yeah, and every school district has someone, or at least, if not the school district, maybe the combined school district region, but every, right. every state and every region uh, has someone in charge of assistive technology.
1: And sometimes you have to dig a little harder, because at this meeting yesterday, Kendi brought up the PACE group, mm-hmm. and a parent that lived in the county right next to us said, what's PACE? And she goes, it it is part of your special ed. They should have something like this. Right. So immediately she was like, I got to check this out. Well, I mean, I remember the first time I heard about pace, I didn't even know about it. Right. You just you don't know until you start talking. And I, I know that's why you have put this together to help parents. Realize there is the help out there for them, and let's get this information out to as many people as possible.
0: Now, you're also a board member of the Hearing Loss Association of America, the Grand Rapids chapter. Mm -hmm. What is that organization about, and uh, how did you get involved with that?
1: Well, it is a chapter um, of the national organization, which is the Hearing Loss Association of America,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and this organization was put together, obviously, to help all of those individuals with hearing loss. And um, their they, tremendous resource is through the web, through webinars, through um, a convention that they put together. They, they have a different place every year that they, ha- they have it. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a, a bi-monthly magazine that they send out. That's everything from a national standpoint when you join that organization. Locally, you don't necessarily need to join our group. Um, you don't need to pay a fee is what I mean on um, a membership fee wow, okay. um, I would highly recommend any parent joining the national only because you do get all that information right um, so the way I got involved with it I happened to go to Lansing for um, it was a day at the state capitol and it was where we were talking meeting with our state representatives to talk about hearing loss um, education things that they could do in our community and I happened to bump into some people there that were with the Hearing Loss Association of uh, the Grand Rapids chapter. And they just invited me to come to the organization. I ended up becoming a part of the organization because I feel as a parent, I'm kind of in between. One, I want to know what to expect from my daughter for the future, and I can hear a lot of that from people that are adults. Um, They can tell me a lot about how a cochlear implant sounds, what new technology they're using. And then, from the standpoint of my daughter, helping her um, so I can further educate her, advocate for her, learn new things for her. So it's been a great organization. They, um, it appeals to everybody. It's not just for adults. It's for everybody. And our organization locally, you don't have to join, um, pay a membership fee. You can just show up for our programs. Right now we're not doing, um, we used to do quarterly programs. We're not doing those right now, but we probably will be having one in September that will deal with assistive technology and and talking to audiologists. Um, People love that when they can ask an audiologist questions about hearing loss.
0: Yeah, that's great. And then um, you're also a member of Guide By Your Side and the National Program of Hands and Voices. Can you kind of... And we'll probably have to break them both down. If you Maybe start with Hands and Voices. Give us kind of an overview of what that organization is and what they do.
1: Certainly. The Hands and Voices is an awesome program. It was started by some mothers out in Colorado. There's such as myself that happened to be meeting with other mothers and realized that there was this disconnect with people that were saying, you know, we're going to put the people that talk over here, the spoken language, and the people that sign over here, and the people that do cute speech over here, and they said, no, 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 we should be all together sharing this information, helping each other, um, being supportive of each other, hence the name Hands and Voices, hands being for people that sign, use other forms of, like, cute speech for their um, mode of communication, and then the voices obviously being spoken language, and neither of these... None of these people that started it were really, they weren't educators in the field, they weren't professionals, they weren't audiologists, they weren't doctors. So they have just done tremendously. They started out in Colorado. They expanded to other regions throughout the United States, There's chapters. I don't know if they're in, I don't believe they're in every state. So if there is a state that you live in that you would like a hands and voices, you'd like to start it, I suggest going and and contacting them and finding out how you become um, a chapter member. Um, Then um, they have a wonderful website that offers a plethora of information, anything from IEP information to socialization um, issues that people, um, individuals with different challenges have challenges in. so it's, it's got great articles, it's got great contact information, um, so I would suggest going to their website as well.
0: Great. And then Guide By Your Side is a, a, an extension of that?
1: It is. Guide By Your Side started in Wisconsin through the state there, and then um, when Michigan, uh, the state we're in, adopted it um, as part of their EDDIE program, which is um, Early Hearing Detection Intervention. Um, and they basically this program was set up, remember when I was telling you 11 years ago there was no support for me, that's basically what it was set up for. It was set up for those mothers that get that diagnosis and go, I, I don't even know what to do with this. And not just mothers, families, I don't know what to do with this. Um, and they have that, that peer-to-peer, that parent-to-parent that comes in, meets with them, brings a three-ring binder that has information galore, and, that, and, and we all feel like we get inundated with information. Um, so we always try to take it slow and say to them, this is information that you can digest a little bit at a time. You don't have to read it all at once, but that you have it and that you have resources. Um, and then the, the most important part, obviously, is that parent-to-parent, so that person can talk to you as a parent as opposed to an educator or um, a professional that might have a bias. We... As guide by your side, parents do not have that bias. So even though my child speaks a spoken language, I will go and meet with somebody, and let's say they say, I need information on sign, I need information on, you know, or can you help me in this area, or can you tell me this? And maybe it's something that I'm not informed about, or either I'm not, you know, I my daughter doesn't do that, that doesn't matter. That bias has to stay by the wayside. And, and I really don't have a bias because I pretty much... As I said from the beginning, I believe everything is, is a choice on that family. So, um, And that's what that program does, and it's free,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's awesome, because the, the family, basically what happens is when they meet with that audiologist getting their di- diagnostic testing in the hospital, they'll get that information, and the audiologist should say to them, now, there's this program out there, and if you're interested, you'll know, fill out this form, send it in, and um, it will go to the state and, they will then, in turn, call have somebody call you up to meet with you um, and provide you with whatever support and information that you need.
0: And that's great because I've always maintained that uh, as a parent, I get the best information from other parents, you know, because uh, there are... There are resources online. You know, you can go to WebMD or the Cleveland Clinic website, the Mayo Clinic or the University Hospitals, and there's great information on anything you're looking for. But the problem is it's all medical-based. Whereas uh, when I talk to a parent, I can, uh, you know, they can say, well, yeah, we tried that and it didn't work and here's why. You know, or you know what, We, we did something this, we did this, and that really helped and here's why. And so we're able to, you know, talk to each other, compare notes, and uh, figure out what could work best.
1: You're right, and, and I totally 100% agree because that's how I have found out most of my information, and I shouldn't say all of it because I do, do get a lot, and I love the educators and I love the professionals, mm-hmm. but I get that, that one-on-one with parents, and I always feel that that's my, my gift to give somebody too is that if I learn somebody, I pass it on to them. So, um, you know, I, I learned that yesterday when I was talking to somebody at this uh, this presentation I was at, and there was a number of mothers in the room, and we were learning about IEPs, and this mother brought up something, and I thought, I never even, nobody ever told me about that. I didn't know I could ask for that. You know, I wouldn't have known that had I not talked to that parent. So it's very good, to, and, and not everybody, is going to be probably like you and me. I mean, I do find that every there there 's varying degrees of people out there, so if you 're not a real big extrovert, mm-hmm. I know it 's hard for people because it 's like you really have to go out and advocate for your child all the time and but just try to just do a little bit you know because i talked i 'll talk to everybody to get that information, as I said to my husband. You should be very happy that I'm no, uh, a nosy person because I do like asking a lot of questions, and that's that's what gets me the answers half the time. But not everybody's like me, so
0: right. Well, and it's a matter of getting comfortable too. I mean, when you go to some of the meetings, then you get to know the people who are there, and you can start being a little more comfortable, and you can start asking more questions. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. because you know the funny part is we tend to look at some parents and we say, "Oh, they're experts on that," but then you realize, no, they're just learning like everyone else. It's just they learn something that we don't know yet.
1: And yesterday we were at, I was at lunch with this lady afterwards and somebody overheard us and came up to us and said, I just want to tell you mothers, I wasn't, I I didn't mean to overhear what you're saying, but she said, I just want to tell you, you keep going to fight because she goes, I'm a mother of a child with special needs who's now 28. And she said, and I've been there and if there's anything, and I thought that was so awesome to hear that because you're right. You you need that constant reassurance that you know what, you're going to do it. Keep going that fight, you're gonna get there. And not that it's a fight, but you know what I mean. Right,
0: we're yeah. Keep
1: going ahead, forging ahead for our children.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of work and it's it's you know, you tend to think sometimes that well, I'm the only one who's doing this, I'm going nuts here. And then you realize, okay, no, we're not. <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. But we're just we're in all these little pockets that we don't get to see each other all the time, that we don't you're right, that we do feel alone.
0: Yeah, now another group you're involved with is is the Bionic Ear Association. Can you tell us about that group and what they do?
1: Yep, that is through. Now, with cochlear implants, um, there are three different manufacturers out there. And unlike any other medical device out there, you are actually able to choose which manufacturer you want to go with. Could you imagine if you had to get a pacemaker (laughs) saying to the doctor, well, I don't know, I'll pick this one. Right. Yeah, You actually get to choose um, which one you get to go with. And, um, And I will say this disclaimer right now. The choice that you make will be a great one because all three of the companies are solid companies with standard devices. I mean, they're just solid devices, so you won't make a bad choice. But the the company that we chose um, actually has an association, and I think all three of them do. They all have um, a group that they're constantly getting information out to people on. And the one that that I uh, that we're with is it's called the Bionic Ear Association. Mm-hmm. So what we do is twofold. One is I constantly want to learn for Kendall what options are available, what things are coming up. Um, I want to keep in touch with the people that have cochlear implants. Maybe there's something I don't know that Kendall could be doing with her that would help her. And then the second thing is, is that um, if there's people that I need out there, parents, Individuals and they have hearing loss and they're looking to find out more information about this particular company. I can I can let them know. You know I can show them Kendall's cochlear implant. I can tell them about things. I can show them the website. So we're there as as kind of um, being that person that has being that individual that has that um, type of cochlear implant and we can explain to people about that because this. Because like I said, it's not. When we made the decision, we had a, a, a sheet of a, a legal pad, and it was pros and cons. And our doctor was only, um, at the time, going with the two companies, so it was a little bit easier. We didn't have three to choose from. But still, it was like, God, we pick this one, we get these things. Right. But then this one, we get, you know, and you, were, and you were like, I don't know what to do. you know. So we didn't really have to sit down. And so it really helped sometimes to just kind of have another person to talk to an individual from each company um, that's not the professional, that's a parent or the the individual that's wearing it and asking them their opinions. Um, so, yeah, that's it from, and and then the other thing the Bionic Ear Association does is it has different rehabilitation activities. So, Kendall can go online and do different sounding to see if she's catching these different sounds. Because even once again, people say with hearing loss, they're like, oh, she's got my hearing loss. Well, yeah. She might miss the ending
2: mm-hmm.
1: of the, the word. For instance, the word armpit, she hears the T as a CK, so she calls it armpick, and we keep saying, no, it's armpit. Her um, her hearing-impaired teacher that comes to see her a couple times a week, her last name is Faber with a B. Kendall hears V, favor, and we have to keep saying, no, it's with a B. So... You know, that's what I mean when they say mild hearing loss, yeah, she's missing different sounds. And so that's, they have some programs through the Bionic Ear Association that you can play them on your computer and really fine-tune, you know, so you can actually hone in more on that and, and develop your hearing a little bit better.
0: Wow. Now, when it comes to technology, we're always being told about improvements that are on the horizon. Um, what kind of improvements have you been finding out about as far as the technology for hearing loss and deafness?
1: Well, um, like I, I said earlier in the program, they, they keep talking about the hair cell regeneration. They haven't been able to do it yet. Right. And we don't know when that's going to happen. So that's one thing that I know that they're, they're still working on. Um, another thing is cochlear implants keep changing. Um, the, the company that Kendall's um, has is uh, last year they came out with um, a waterproof device so she can actually go swimming with it. Oh, neat. It's great, yeah. but your insurance has to approve it. That's where the insurance becomes more of an issue is Right. they don't look at that as a necessary. So, you know, you have to look at those things. Um, I did see, and I don't know that much about it, um, but the, the company, once again, that she's with, they're talking about um, an implantable um, a cochlear implant that um, protects the residual hearing.
2: Mm-hmm. Once again,
1: I don't know how that works, but I just saw that on their website. There are implantable um, hearing aids, totally implantable. Mm. Um, so they're waterproof and everything. Um, but the fallback on that is it's not covered by insurance. Right. Because they look at that as cosmetic. So there's, there's a lot of great things out there. I was talking to a parent the other day, their child has hearing loss, um, and she wears hearing aids, and she said if they could come out with a waterproof hearing aid. There's some, but they're not, they're not great. And she said, they could come out with a waterproof hearing aid. So I really think those are the things that people are looking at, is how can I incorporate hearing throughout my whole life, not just when I'm dry. Mm-hmm. You know, I take a shower, and, and most of us don't mind if we're quiet in the shower, but, I mean, that's just one instance. If you're going in a pool, that's, you know, how do you play Marco Polo? Right. <laughs> that's the one we like, really, how do you play Marco Polo? Um, so those are some things, um, you know, hearing aids, they constantly make them smaller, but that doesn't mean necessarily better. Right. So people have to be on the lookout for that because it depends on your hearing loss. Um, you know, that's always, you know, look at that. And But they do. They make some that are smaller that, um you can use with your cell phones now that you can hear cell phones better. That's the other thing, technology, has helped out in the hearing loss community. Um, People that use American Sign Language, they also text. I mean, that's a big thing that they do. They also do um, uh, video relay. So you're you're able to do that video time with somebody and sign with them uh, via video. Um, So there's a lot of that technology in the forefront that's happening now that has made it, you know, 10, 15 years ago wasn't available for our kids, and now it's there. Um, So I think that just with technology and everything going faster and faster, I think there's programs out there that are on iPads and the computer that, you know, really work with hearing loss as well.
0: Wow, those are all amazing. Now, is there any kind of a national resource out there that can guide people to help them in their own states or communities as far as getting good information? Obviously, Hands and Voices is one of them. Uh, anything else?
1: Yes, Hands and Voices, Hearing Loss Association, um, you know, there's a A.G. Bell,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, which they have state chapters as well as the national chapters. That's another great one. Um, Um, Gallaudet University. That's out of Washington, D.C. And they focus most... It's obviously all um, hearing... They deal with hearing loss and deafness there, so that's what their students are. Not necessarily everybody who goes there is though, because some people are going into deaf education and they hear. Ah. Um, But they have great information. Um, RIT, which is Rochester Institute of Technology out of Rochester, New York. Great information there. Um, For a parent that is just You have the child just diagnosed and they're a newborn. We did this with Kendall, and it was awesome. We did it while she was still getting her early intervention um, from the school because the early intervention will come to the the home up until the age of two, and then you go into the school. Um, So we did it through John Tracy Clinic out of Los Angeles. It was a correspondence course. And what's so cool about this is um, the John Tracy Clinic was started, Spencer Tracy. Everyone knows Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. His son was diagnosed with hearing loss in 1925. Oh. And so his wife um, devoted her time and energy to study how deaf uh, children could be taught to communicate with Mm -hmm. the hearing and the speaking world. And so then she taught her son that and then started this program and apparently, you know, just wanted no kid to be left. So it's so, it is for, once again, the speaking language, but it's a great way to do that. We did exercises with Kendall, and it was just educational stuff, and it was very easy to do in the home, and we did that for a couple of years, and it's free. Um, and then for signing, what a great, this woman um, is an entertainer, and her daughter was born with hearing loss, and she started singing songs to run things and then became this program and hmm. then became a program on PBS called Signing Time.
0: Oh, right. I remember that. I and think it's still so on. so it's
1: an awesome way for anybody. I mean, for you and me to just go learn a couple signs, it's great. And then it's just great for kids. So, I mean, there's a lot of resources like that. Um, like I said, go to Hands and Voices. There's um, conferences all the time. Um, there's, I, I would definitely check out every one of those um, organizations we talked about mm-hmm. and check out their websites and get on their mailing list and get on their email list. And I know you can be inundated, so maybe just pick a couple. Pick, right. you know, If you want to learn about sign language and you want to know about the spoken language, pick one of each. And um, But there's
0: just a ton of information out there. That's fantastic. That's wonderful to know. Well, I, I really appreciate you taking the time with us, Julie, and uh, talking all about this kind of stuff, and it's, I think it's going to be a tremendous help for a lot of people.
1: Great. Thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity.
0: As always, we have links to every resource website that Julie mentioned on the homepage of our website, specialparentsconfidential.com. And that's it for this podcast episode of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. Thanks for listening.